You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. So we're technically live. Excellent. Welcome, welcome. I know we're late, but uh, there are some technical difficulties. Yes. So in about four minutes, we're just going to go, or in about two minutes, we're going to go live, live. There's one thing the studio has down is these headsets are not quite as nice. Mm. That being said, though, I love these mics a lot more. They are. Yeah. uh, You can't tell we're not in our normal house today because. When I said technical difficulties, I meant um, nothing was working. Yeah. So. uh yeah, no, that's that's a bad. It's a bad sign, but we're here now. We're going to talk about rogues, fighters, rangers, martial orders, criminal syndicates, and ranger corps. Yeah, not necessarily in that order, but you know, in fact, specifically not in that order. And uh, we we hit the little posty poo button on there. You know, this is the worst though, because it's like I'm. I just want to like hit the hit the plays button on the song, because <laughs> I'm so used to that. But we don't have it. Well, this is going to be not a lost episode, but a confused episode. A confused certainly. episode. I'm gonna I'm gonna check one more time and see if I can find it. All right. Well, uh, in the meantime, we're gonna talk about this in the show. But uh, how about those ship rules? Hey, guys. Uh, I've never played, actually, an aquatic campaign. Uh, if you have played an aquatic campaign, please let, let us know in the comments because uh, I don't know how those go. So everything I say on the ship rules is probably going to be quite misinformed. <laughs> well, I don't think we're going to spend too much time on that. We might. <sighs> uh, bless Karen, though, for having a bunch of metal in her Dropbox folder. <laughs> Love that woman. Uh... Yep, nope, I uh, I don't think it's here. I'm just going to... Yep, we're just going to give up on it. Well, uh, so it goes. I found Megan Trainer stuff, though, which is... Interesting. More depressing. Oh, hang on. Oh, oh, maybe? Did I maybe find us? Did you? Oh, well. well, we're doing it live. Let's go. We're doing it live. Three, two, one, and welcome everybody to the 3DM's podcast. I hope everybody has had a splendid holiday season and a happy new year. Uh, you didn't see us on our last episode because we recorded a special uh, 
audio only episode. We don't have a video up for it. If you want to find that episode, you can go to SoundCloud, 3DM or uh, SoundCloud.com slash 3DM's podcast. Uh, you can also check out our iTunes, please, for the love of God. Go to iTunes, give us five stars, uh, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's all going to be uploaded there and check out all that. So, Paul Jake. actually was not available for the last episode, which makes me the Iron Man of this show now. I have made every single episode as I damn well should because it's my damn show. Paul, how was your holiday? That was good. Thanks for asking. I had a good time. Fantastic. So let's dive into what we got going for today. What we talked about last time was Session Zero and Clerics and what everything's going to look like from the DM side of the screen going towards working with a uh, with a cleric. We did one before that, too. That was a lot of fun with Warlock patrons and your Session Zero. And so now we're going to continue to address the world built around your players uh, and how you're going to handle all that with the selections of the class, the fighter, the ranger, and the rouge you might notice that we're covering three classes instead of one. This isn't because they're less important, it's just there's a lot less to cover. These are classes with far more archetypes in popular uh, fantasy fiction than, well, necessarily warlocks or clerics as main characters of stories. With the exception of Ranger, which we'll get into, but we figured they could fit in as well easily with the fighter and rogue discussion. Um so before we get into that, though, we got a couple little bits of news to cover. Uh, first of all, uh, if you've you know if you pay attention to Reddit or anything else uh, on Twitch over on the D and D official Twitch, they announced what the first book is going to, or they hinted at what the first book is going to cover. There might have been some more news come out. I've been following that closely because it's just a lot of uh, you know kind of conjecture as to everything else is going to be, but it's been hinted that it's going to be an aquatic based book. Uh, I'm guessing a few more monster types, uh, a hammering down of those ship rules they did in the unearthed arcana a couple months back. Excuse me. Was it in November or December? They did the ship rules. I can't remember. I, don't I believe, track. I believe November. Um, I'll double check, but go on. Uh, and probably just a couple other things to play with that. Maybe some more, uh, aquatic sub races, uh, add some stuff for a, the sea elves and things like that. Like they've already got a little bit in uh, Mordenkainen's, but I can definitely see them wanting to hammer that down more and maybe mess with some other biomes and stuff too. Uh, maybe get some desert stuff in there and it might just turn into like a terrains and locations book. A non-standard Western European fantasy in France book. By the way, it, it was in fact in very late November. So Nailed it. Uh, so I'm that one came out. I'm personally interested in seeing what they do with what well, we often see a lot of mountain and forest and plains. I'm interested in seeing how they're going to do jungles. I mean this is all, of course, pure speculation. Uh, but I'm interested to see if they'll do jungles and deserts as you mentioned earlier or even more exotic locales. Given that this is a fantasy game, you could go the sort of endless legend route and have weird terrain features be everywhere like giant spikes of dirt that – stretch up for miles like mountains but are nothing like mountains. Yeah. You know, a lot of different stuff to do, but we're not talking about terrain today. Um, at least at not least, mostly. At least not mostly. Um, I think we'll get into the Unearthed Arcana that was released in December at a later date or on a separate side video. I think it's – talking about it is not really going to flow well with what we got going on the today. The sidekicks? Yeah, we'll cover that another day I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll cover that at a more – But yes, we are aware of it, but – 
if you have any opinions about sidekicks, please let us know in the comments. Yeah. So let's start the dressing down. Your players, uh, you're sitting around. It's session zero time. And this time we've got three players who have chosen fighter, rogue, and ranger. First of all, that's a very heavily martial aligned party you got there. Secondly, I can't recommend enough that you do, in fact, do a session zero. Building a character with a group is very, makes it much easier to mesh with the rest of the players, build around the players, and most importantly of all, perhaps create characters that aren't too similar to each other. Yeah. So we're going to start off with the fighter number one. And so here's the one thing. Alphabetically, it's the first. Yeah. So. Um, but here's the two things that uh, fighter – uh, not fighter, excuse me, cleric and warlock had in common that is unique to them and nobody else. That is the fact that they at level one already have, have to pick their archetype, have to pick their archetype. Uh, they either have to pick what domain they're serving or what uh, pact they have locked into um, or not pact. I'm sorry, what patron they have selected. Uh, so with this, with those two, they've got a pretty good idea of who they are, what their story is going to be, and you can tell that story shaped around them based on those decisions that they've already made. Um, shifting. Well, I do have to say also Sorcerer also chooses level one, but that's not really as big of an important yeah, decision as the Cleric where, or Warlock. Where, where's your magic coming from? With Fighter and the other ones we're going to cover today, uh, this is where things get can get a little squirrely. Um, obviously, their selection for what their archetype is comes at level three and given the different amount of archetypes we have now and the amount of backgrounds that exist. Yeah. Let me get those books again. I shouldn't have put those away. Go yeah. on. Uh, <laughs> given the amount of archetypes and backgrounds that exist uh, now characters become vastly different once they hit level three, once they, you know, finally pick what college they want to go off to, so to speak. Thank God. Um, Every you know, fighter is a great attacking two handed sword wielding monster. Thank God. Not anymore. Yeah, so this has now changed us to having to address the obvious issues with coming to a level three. So let's just get this one out of the way first, and then we'll go on a case-by-case basis down the line. Um, and I guess we'll use a moment on the soapbox. I personally like to start games at level two or level three, and that's for the reason of you can get a much more um, – well-informed backstory out of your players. Uh, if they've actually had some level of experience rather than, oh, boy, I'm just out of fighters college. Yeah. Um, if you – well, you can get a much more informed backstory. You can also simultaneously not have to worry about everybody just fucking dying because <laughs> level one is – Because you're in Rusty Dagger Shank Town. Yeah. Level one is. is just you know notorious for having that problem. And uh, the other problem – or and the other thing that it's very helpful for is it lets everybody select their archetypes. So let's say you're going to run a game and everybody's at level one. And these classes that we're talking about again today is I'm going to hit that hammer home again. Everybody chooses – what their archetype is going to be at level three with these three options or with the, uh, the three options that you're presented with in the player's handbook, uh, for the fighter, uh, two of them are very easy and straightforward. And then one of them makes no sense. Uh, that is champion and battle mastered are very straightforward. And then with Eldritch Knight, you're going to have to consider, you're going to have to take a lot of considerations in to what you're going to select going forward uh, and how you're going to run your story and how you're going to run your campaign setting. Uh, and what that means is, so with Champion and Battlemaster, those two can kind of exist uniquely in any form and fashion. Eldritch Knight really depends on the concessions that you make for how magic works in your universe. 
um, difference between Paul's setting and my setting. So in my setting, uh, magic is much more cloistered away. It is much more difficult to access. Uh, your average Joe Blow on the street is not going to be able to get his hands on anything that even looks close to a lick of magic. Uh, whereas in Paul's setting, magic is much more accessible. It's a trade, much like carpentry is. Yeah. Anyone can learn to use magic, but most people are going to suck at it. And so what this all entails for your eldritch knight and we'll get to the you know a couple of the other subclasses of fighter and how that other stuff can change but i want to start off with the weird one too um so with eldritch knight because that and arcane archer i guess we'll throw arcane archer in there now too because they're both the the weird options for fighter um air quotations i have my own issues with arcane archer that we'll get to in a moment yeah but. uh you have to try to figure out and have this conversation with your player, especially if you start at level one and they're moving to level three. Um, and this is going to be a very common theme for all of these. This is a note that I'm going to make a lot. Talk to your player if you're starting at level one or level two even and try to figure out what archetype they've got their eye on for once they hit level three. What do they want to do with their life? Yeah. What's what's their plan once they hit level three? Are they What one do they plan on going into? Um, and if that's the case, if they decide they want to play Eldritch Knight or they want to go Arcane Archer, cool, fine. That's when you need to start having that conversation about building that the story and how, okay, well, if, let's say in my setting, um, the Eldritch Knight fighters um, in my campaign setting are also trained as part of the Mages College. They train them to go out in the field alongside their uh, – they're wizards they're who go nerds. Out. Yeah. They're wizards who go out and do field studies because they need somebody who can take an axe shot to the face. Uh, and they are, you know, trained with limited amounts of magic to, you know, be able to go out and facilitate them. So having that conversation or, you know, so I have a player who wants to play an Eldritch Knight, then I'll tell them, well, in my setting, this is typically where they come from. Um, if it's something that isn't going to want to or if it's something that a player isn't going to want to do necessarily, then it's up to me to figure out, okay, well, what's a way I can make it so they get to make it work. But you have to sit down and have that conversation. And I've had that disheartened conversation a couple of times where players are just like, well, couldn't I have just taught myself magic? And I ask them, well, can you just teach yourself Japanese? I'll, I'll even throw you a book. I want you to teach yourself Japanese. I mean, you could, you could, but it's going to sound like shit. You're, you know, it's, well, it's not like Eldritch Knights are very good spellcasters to begin with. Hey, 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 hey. We're, we're not talking about how optimal the class is. We're just talking about how. No, I'm saying they learn like four spells. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll pick on them about that later. Same thing with Arcane Archers. Um, Figure out for yourself and for your setting and then have that discussion with your player. How does this magic affect and how does this magic get out and shape what is affecting the world? Now, again, I should also stress that this is a conversation that could be technically had about any subclass but in general people have stronger opinions about magic than they do about learning how tactics work despite the fact that a adequate tactics often take quite a bit of practice or experience to learn in the first place yeah uh, I mean I would say that <clears throat> my only rebuttal to that for Battlemaster would be it's just a the amount of time and practicing and who you practice with it, it, you know if you find a I've known plenty of wrestlers who uh, went on to become pretty good wrestlers and they didn't exactly have fan the best coaching or anything. They just, you know, went to all the right camps and drilled with the right people. Um, but more back to sticking to fighters. So we got the two kind of weird ones out of the way. Let's talk about uh, the fighter backstory itself. 
fighter backstory is extremely open to put it lightly. Yeah. The fighter as a backstory, like with everybody else, they're usually, you know, some indication of how you got your training. Fighter backstory can range from anything to mercenary to hired thug to guy who learned, who practiced well, while you, while you were out dating women, I studied the blade. <laughs> I've been practicing with this sword in my mother's bedroom. For 20 years. For 20 years and now I'm finally to unleash it on the world as a level one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's why you should have been out in Dayton, Chief. Yep. Might have had more fun. But with the fighter backstory, there is a hundred different, you know, variants of, you know, how they – or what they're trying to set out to do, but there's going to be universal constant that they almost don't have to account for, which is how they learn to fight. I learned to fight real good by doing – this there are there are great options in xanathar's guide um presented as to who their teacher was and how they got their teaching uh i highly recommend examining those for inspiration slash uh that conversation with your player and the reason for a lot of this like we're getting to is little details like these really help immerse a player when a player looks at their Character sheet and they look at that second sheet, you know, and on that second sheet, they've, you know, obviously there's like notes and there's goals and, you know, a couple other little side things. But there's also their who they know and organizations that they know. And it can be really disheartening for level one players to just look at that sheet and it's just blank. Um, so I always find it very helpful, especially for new players, because it feels like there's a lot more going on if they can look at that sheet and they've got a couple of options like. Yeah. Um, you know, well, you know, Joe, Joe bandit was the bandit who taught me how to use all my weaponry. And as a, as a now level three fighter, I can go down the street to Joe bandit's bakery shop. He's retired from banditing. He's a baker now. Um, he's of the New Hampshire bandits, of course. And he, you know, I go down to Joe bandit's shop and Hey, how you doing, bud? You know? Yada, yada, yada. Can I crash in your couch for a night? Yeah. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that stuff more, but. Little details like that really help flesh out your world. Uh, Especially important is your characters were hopefully not hatched from eggs unconnected to the world. Um, The bonds section of a player character sheet, as we've pretty much been talking about, uh, is something that you should at least work – try to work for about 10 minutes or so with every character. Who does your player – who does your character know? Who does your character know? Why – you know, why is that relationship like that? Yada, 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 all these. Why are they becoming a murder hobo? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why is there's there's a lot of who's and what's and why's. Uh, why are you becoming a murder hobo and leaving Joe Bandit's bakery shop? <laughs> Another very important bit to consider when and this applies to all of them, actually, but. A very important thing to consider, uh, especially if you don't have a set in stone answer for your players, is to let your players do the work. If they're feeling like, hey, yeah, no, I'll definitely sit down and write a little something or they'll come up with something for it. Say, for example, they're, you know, we're sticking with fighter here. So let's say they want to be part of a mercenary band. Okay, cool. And they're like, hey, I really want to come up with like the colors and the flags and everything for the mercenary band. Cool. Tell them to just, you know, hit you with the bullet points. Who's in charge? How many people are there? You know, how long you've been with them? So on and so forth. And let them bring that to you. And from there, cool, you get to add something that you might not have thought of to your setting. And that that said, do have a metaphorical hand on their shoulder. Don't allow them to just throw in anything they want. You are, after all, 
while your player characters should feel like they can add to the world, they you should have to run by you as for a final vote. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to – yeah, but when it comes to them making stuff, it allows them to automatically feel it more, more at home. And then also they don't feel like they have to memorize those facts because they came up with those facts. So they're going to remember them. Yeah. So they'll remember them themselves. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. <laughs> I've had that happen before. Uh, other things to cover, though, with the fighter sticking to just, you know, little other fighter stuff you might not think of um, is depending on their background and all that. How are they addressed in the world? How are they thought of in setting? Like a noble is going to be sir or ma'am or uh, sir or madam. I think madam yeah. is the usual one. Yeah, this Madame. is where this is where fighters again are so weird because they're while everybody else can be um, shaped into. You know how you want them to work for your story. Like we can have a noble who got kicked out of the castle, ran off to the woods and became a druid. But and I even said that I said this before in the car and this is purely anecdotal. I have no statistics to back this up, but just my personal experience, the most out there backstories I've ever gotten are from my players who are fighters. Fighters, as even the Pleasure Handbook says, is probably the most diverse class as to origins and character types. Just because it covers so many things. Yeah. Link is a warrior or Link is a fighter. Simultaneously, you know who else is a fighter? Uh, I had a joke and then I just – I forgot the name of who I was about to say. Not Stannis Baratheon? That no. was the one you mentioned. Well, that was before, the one but... in the, I had in the car. No, Link's a fighter but you know who else is a fighter? Uh, wow. Why can't I think of his name? <laughs> Come on. Give me a description. Blood for the blood god. Skulls for the skull throw. Uh, Karn the Betrayer? Yes. Thank you. Um, you know, Karn's a fighter. Uh, Doom Breed's a fighter. Uh who else is who else is uh, hilariously a fighter, even though they're like tiny and adorable? Onion Knight from Final Fantasy yep. is technically a fighter. And they're cute until level ninety nine, where they're made of pure murder. Uh, what's his name? Thorin Oakenshield. He's a fighter. Yeah, the, the fighter archetype is Kirby. Is technically Kirby is a fighter? Yeah. <laughs> Kirby is a monk. Yeah, it's actually Kirby's more like a barbarian, but. <laughs> uh, the point being, fighter is remarkably diverse, uh, and so I guess bringing the section of fighter to a close for the moment. For the moment, um, just try to stick to the main following logistics when doing any background for them. Just try to ask your player, "Hey, where did you get your powers from?" Or where did you get your training? Where did you get your training from? Where did you get your equipment from? And who are you most connected to? Yeah. What is your, you know, because, yeah, those are three relationships you're going to have that are pretty strong. Who maintains your equipment? Because, you know, unless you, you know, have a, like a blacksmith tools or that ever set set in your background, you're probably going to know a blacksmith who takes care of your stuff for you. Yeah. You're going to know the person who taught you how to fight unless they got murdered, um, which I'm actually ad- about to address in a sidebar here. Surprisingly common uh, occurrence for your trainers yeah typically uh and then last but most certainly not least uh you know who who's just your regular running buddies as a fighter you know what is let's say we're all meeting in you know fairly large city well you you must have some people who know you in a couple block radius how how do you feed yourself certainly you've been running with somebody yeah you know ask a couple of these questions once you get answers for these questions you'll find suddenly they feel a lot more ingratiated into your world 
And you can bring up these characters to, you know, sort of flesh out and make the conversation feel more real. So I'm going to take one quick second, though, here. And uh, while I was putting together this uh, episode, there was something I did want to say. And I don't think this is a long enough topic to really fill up, uh, you know, an episode. It might get a nice little Twitter rant from me. But here we go. Um When it comes to no, I'm just I'm getting all my words together because I, <laughs> I don't want this to be dickish. I just this is more of a message to players and not to DMs. Um, as a player, because I've read this a lot lately, from I've seen it in a lot of places. Uh, some of them become disheartened when a DM can't necessarily fit in their backstory. And while I get that, and while every DM should try to sit down and try to fit everything they can from a character's backstory into their game, I'm going to tell you right now, it becomes a fucking pile of hard to weave story when I have four people who have had tragic murders committed to them by different people who have names. Look, all I'm saying is the murder rate is really high around here. Okay. I remember even once in a campaign, um, we, uh, actually no, uh, we'll, we'll say who it is. Uh, we might, I had a player, Paul was DMing and I had a hometown, uh, that I went back to to see my player's parents because I had, uh, I had done good. I had gone to the city. I had become a famous adventurer. And the first thing one of the other players said at the table was, your parents are going to die now. You know that village is going to be on fire, right, when we get there. And I looked at it Paul wasn't. and I'm like, why would it be? It's, 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 it's a, a little small, farming town. Who's going to set it on fire? Yeah, it's a little cattle farming town now. Maybe later on when everything got terrible. Yeah, but um, – or war had come to the countryside. Yeah, when war had come to the countryside, that's an actual that's reason. Thing. But during you know a quiet, peaceful time, no, I went you know to the family farm and I said, "Hey, mom and dad, I've done good. You can sell the farm. I'll move you into the city. Consider yourself retired." Point is, as a player, uh, when it comes to making your backstory, just ease up on like hard tragedy. I mean, if you really, really want to play that character, cool. But this is why session zeros are helpful. Talk to your other players. Make sure all of them aren't asking for something ridiculous. You because, all meet in an orphanage. Yeah, because guess what? Suddenly the <laughs> that actually would be that would actually be great if four players came up with uh, tragic murder backstories, tragic murder murder backstories, and they all learned their different classes while in this one really sweet orphanage. Um, point is, try to make your everybody's backstories like at least work together. Um, you know, there is no shame in being the dude who is just like, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I was just going to bard college. I'm like, I'm a bard going to bard school, man. Like, I'm just trying to make a lot of money and then retire with all the blackjack and hookers I can afford. Exactly. Like, there, there is nothing wrong with that backstory. You can have great character death, you know, growth not, and not depth everyone with has, that, too. Not everyone has to be brooding about who killed their fa- Okay, well, now I'm just ragging on it. So Yeah. Well, it's not, it's not even necessarily the deaths. It's, you know, with your backstories, try to be vague a little bit. Give your GM a little room to play around with it. I mean, last time I played a tragic murder backstory, I left who actually killed uh, the characters, um, not loved ones, but like their squad ambiguous so the game master could insert whoever they needed as yeah. the villain. But just don't write everything down to the last detail, please. Okay. Rant over. Let's move on to rangers. Um, rangers are the odd thumb out here because they're the ones who can actually use magic. Quotations. Um, like a little bit of magic and it could easily be explained as, you know, non-magical effects. Um, so let's let's rail on Ranger like we always like to. Um, it sucks. 
Base Ranger sucks. Okay. There's no getting around it. It's bad. Okay. It's good at levels one through five, and that's terrible for the rest of the game. Okay. Yep. Nope. We're done. Um, so. Unless you're playing Gloomstalker. All right. That's enough. Now back up. I said down. I said down, boy. Now. <laughs> session zero. Somebody wants to play Aragorn. I mean, Ranger. <laughs> yeah. What you do is. Um, well, okay. Here's, here's one place where I'm actually going to say that the books aren't really of much help. Um, what they basically, uh, if you could pop open Xanathar's please to the, uh, ranger section, Paul, because on it. I, I do want to rattle these off really quick in terms of, uh, ranger stuff. Um, so one thing I, one of my favorite things about Xanathar's is how every single class gets a couple of little optional tables of just, you know, a little bit of flavor you can add. Nice little touches. Yes, view Fun. of the world. Yeah. View of the world is Merle's Crawford, whoever's listening. Uh, <laughs> this one is basically how much do you hate society? Yeah, I mean, it's towns and cities are the best places for those who can't survive on their own. Towns and cities are the best way to thwart chaos, but their reach must be closely monitored. Town cities are a necessary evil, and we're not going to need them once the wilderness is purged of evil. Walls are for cowards. Visiting a town is not an unpleasant entirely, and cities breed weakness. Um, so, how much do you hate cities? Um, no, it, there's a fine line between how much you hate cities and how much are you playing the fucking Unabomber. Um, <laughs> so when it comes to Ranger stuff, I highly recommend to ignore the book. Uh, for backstory inspiration. Because it's terrible. Anyway. Um, well, so first of all, here's where rangers are a little complex. There isn't really a uh, standard fantasy narrative that isn't, uh, you know, for a ranger that isn't. Uh, Aragorn. Okay. Aragorn, We're going to say it out loud. Ranger is Aragorn the class and has always been. Or uh, Drizzt. Yes. Because that's, those, those are the two. I mean, those are the two rangers that are. Primarily yeah. tossed around in fantasy fiction. It's just in in classic fantasy literature, the role filled by ranger would be filled more often by what we'd consider like a fighter or maybe a druid. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Legolas is fighter to the core. Yeah. Same with Gimli. So. Excuse me. Look, most of the fellowship is fighters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and one paladin. His name is Sam. He never uses magic, but goddammit, if there's a one person who qualifies as a paladin, enough about anyway. Lord of the Rings. So back to Ranger. So the problem with Ranger is obviously that you don't have any direct parallels uh, other than Aragorn and Drizzt and, you know, a couple other characters. People who are clearly based on those two. Yeah. So if you're looking for snazzy ways to dress them up, um, and this is where I will find my conveniently smaller soapbox. And uh, I just got a big pile of them in the corner. Just pick one out. Yeah, Um, it's a slightly smaller one, but I am going to talk for a moment about fantasy ecology. Um, A ranger out of every class presented in the book is actually the most common, maybe other than like a life cleric would probably be the most commonly found in the world. As something to aspire to. I don't know. I think there'd be a lot of fighters out there. Well, there'd be a lot of fighters too, but that's, you know. A very broad topic. A very broad topic. Um, A ranger as a job description is definitely more of a uh, considered occupation. And here's how I view it. So when a, you know, when there's a small town or even a large enough town and there is a enough going on in the world outside of it, uh, they would definitely employ a ranger 
to monitor what's going on. Now, major city with walls with – Probably has an armed forces. That they probably has an armed garrison of some sort. They wouldn't necessarily need a ranger. They still might keep one around just to, you know, poke around the woods and make sure there ain't nothing too scurry happening out there. U.S. Fire Marshal. But for any settlement of, you know, 100 to maybe 500 people, there would almost certainly be a paid ranger on hand. Um, and here's that might just why. be your job. And that would be their job. And here's the reason why. If we even put things in like a North American kind of a setting, you know, and like we just assume the flora and fauna outside, the worst thing that you could possibly have to worry about, you know, depending again where, you know, like let's let's put it somewhere like, I don't know, Wyoming. There's a lot of murder in Wyoming um, in terms of the fauna. Uh, so your worst things you got to worry about are, if you're incredibly far north, north uh, are cougars, grizzly bears, coyotes. Wolverines and coyotes. Now, those things are all actually, you know, terrifying in their own one-on-one situation. But, but if there's three of you, it's not going to be very scary. Well, and even then, if you're in a situation like where you're living in a city or, you know, a small town, a, a homestead, those animals aren't going to approach. Now, this is where we get into the fantasy side of things. Owl bears exist. Owl bears are a fucking thing. Boulets are a fucking thing. Uh, dire animals. Dire animals. Dinosaurs. Uh what else? Basilisks, uh, cockatrices, gray renders, gray renders. Although gray renders are friendlier than most. Uh, ooh, who else are we missing from the monster manual? It's a scary animal that you often run into the wilderness. Frog know in the comments. Uh, frog hemoths. <laughs> anything but, a wizard creates. Yeah, anything anything that a wizard's played with. Um, the point is. A small town that doesn't have much in a way of protecting itself, especially when an owl bear could just charge into town and kill 20 people before, you know, any sort of defense got marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. Um, A ranger is a very sensible person that the town would pay to make sure that that doesn't happen. Yeah. And so this is – I'm about to step down off my soapbox, but this is what I recommend for everybody's setting. Um, If you like it, take it. Don't have to credit me. I think it's just pretty common sense. Uh, a ranger corps or some for, uh, some form of, you know, training where, you know, each town ends up, you know, they get assigned a ranger. That ranger is responsible for training their replacement in case they either get too old or they get maimed because I'm willing to bet. Bears. I'm willing to bet a lot of rangers don't see retirement. <laughs> retirement rate is low. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty. You get your gold lot, watch on your first day. <laughs> Well, um, at least you get to work with your hands every day outside. So that being said, let's address a couple other the uh, little rangerisms that are kind of hard to do. Um, as far as, you know, working and staying within the world, other than that little tangent that I just went on, rangers are pretty sensible and pretty straightforward. Uh, any story that can be summed up with fighting bears in the woods. Yeah, anything that can come up with, well, I was doing this and then I decided to fuck off into the woods pretty ma- pretty much makes sense for them. So more what I'm looking towards as to a couple of things you got to try to really sit with and try to explain are um, if we can crack open Xanathars again because we got two archetypes that require a little bit of finagling if yeah. you're a DM um, and ways to consider them. And those would be the – what is it? It's the Horizon – Horizon Walker yep. and Gloom Stalker. Because I've been known to go Horizon Stalker and Gloom Walker. Um, I mean, Gloom Walker is a pretty badass name, but. Um, we're not really going to cover Monster Hunter because that's kind of what I just described. So with 
Gloomstalker and Horizon Walker, you just need to sit down with your players again. And if they're going to make that selection at level three, then you need to really figure out what your lore is in place for those things. Gloomstalker is, you know, obviously based around the idea of fighting in the dark and ambushing. So why? It's mostly an underdark thing, but it also mentioned that certain very deep forests and caves could also host Gloomstalkers. Yes. So talk to your player about, you know, why they've been training or how they've been training specifically, you know, for this style of ranger bush wit. Um, and also because Gloomstalker is the one I would recommend picking if you got to pick Ranger. If you got to play Ranger, play Gloomstalker. Um, alternatively, looking at Horizon Walker, that one is a that is a very weird can of worms. Uh, I want to I want to walk the outer dimensions. Well, it's you know if you're a player and you want to do it and it's cool and you as a DM have a very high fantasy setting, then yeah, it makes sense. But this is, um. Like, given their job and their position, it almost seems like these wouldn't exist in parties unless there is a planar kind adventure of issue. going on. Yeah, unless a planar adventure is happening. It seems like a very random skill set. Like, well, it, it got added because it was a prestige class in 3.5 in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah, no, I love it and the flavor is great on it. But in terms of uh, finagling that into a story, that one can be a little tricky. Uh, I recommend, again, if your players come up with that one and they really want to play it, cool. Then look at them and, you know, just try to figure out how the planes work in your shit. Make sure you got a solid plane. Planar s- system. Going planar on. system going on or something that can stand in lieu of that. What's coming through and, <clears throat> you know, talking to them about their motivations because players usually – God, I feel like I feel like I'm talking when I talk about players on this show. Sometimes I feel like I'm talking about DPS and World of Warcraft. <laughs> I feel like I'm just talking down, and it, jeez, sounds like talking to his children. No, um, it's just I, I feel so rude sometimes. Uh, but uh, another thing I have noticed with players uh, is sometimes they'll get a little excited and they'll just be like, "Cool, I want to do this and I want to do that" because it sounds awesome. And then you present to them how it's going to work in your story. Like, oh, I don't like how it sounds. And they're like, "I don't, I don't know how they feel about that." So try to give them the birds and the bees if they're going to select something like that. Make sure that they're comfortable with the way you portray it in your setting. Always have that forward thinking conversation with your players. We got about uh, what twenty five minutes left, and we still got Rogue. Well, that's. Hop into it then. You got any? You got any final thoughts on Ranger? Um, anything I missed? Not really. I mean, other than the fact that Beastmaster goes into more traditional uh, Rangers and Monster Slayers, kind of vampire hunters, and so on and so forth. No. Um. That being said, uh, there is actually one little bit I'd like to tackle that I kind of missed, and that would be their use of magic. Yeah. Just try to. You know, whatever works for you, their magic is mostly druid stuff. In my setting, I always have it as, you know, the first rangers were trained by druids, you know, taught the ways of, well, owl bears were made by wizards because wizards don't know what the fuck they're doing. I think. <laughs> Never trust wizards. I feel, like, no, I feel like every druid in my campaign setting is like Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park. Life. Uh, 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 finds uh, a way. Uh, uh, finds a way that or uh, you know you were too pre- preoccupied uh, thinking if you or trying to figure out if you could you didn't stop and realize if you should that was a paraphrase but you get the idea um, do you think God too lives in heaven because he lives in fear of what he created 
Damn. Uh, <laughs> okay. But the idea, you know, figure out how you want your magic to interact with your rangers, how they got their magic. Uh, another, it's another good thing because it can be kind of jarring and it can kind of take everybody out of the game when somebody is suddenly, I didn't really discuss this with Eldritch Knight like I meant to, but now's a good time to tap into it. Uh, whenever somebody hits ding level three and they can suddenly just use magic without it being explained properly, it can take people out of the game. And if you're trying to work on telling a storytelling, coherent story, a co- yeah, a coherent storytelling narrative, and you're not just running a meat grinder dungeon, then making sure people are as immersed as possible and aren't just kind of taken out of it is very key to what you're trying to do. So just try to pay attention to those minor details when you can. Yeah. I believe what is it? Rangers get spells at level two. Anyway, anyways, I think it's either two or... Well, let's double check real quick, but you should probably move on to Rogue. Yeah, let's move on to Rogue. All right. Last but most certainly not least, um, probably the second most flexible right behind Fighter. Level two. Level two. Um, Second most flexible right behind Fighter in terms of storytelling breadth is Rogue. And much like Fighter, it's in practically every fantasy novel or fantasy literature or fantasy setting ever is the Rogue. Which is pretty understandable, though, because it's one of the three classes with no magic whatsoever. Yeah, and it's uh, well, no, it's just it's a classic narration frame, and you know, people always love the idea of the person who's really good at stealing stuff. You got Bilbo Baggins, you got the Gray Mouser, you got uh, who am I missing? Robin Hood. Robin Hood's a good one. Uh, I'm blanking. There's plenty of thieves in history that are missing out on sea. Certainly, Danny Ocean. <laughs> Hey, it might not be fantasy, but Danny Ocean's a hell of a thief. Regardless. Rogues are widespread, and there's lots of things you can do with them. That's it. We're about to start delving into those things. Let's have at it. All right. So uh, much like Fighter, their story is going to be ubiquitous and pretty interchangeable. I mean – It fits with any background. Even Conan the Barbarian was a thief in his youth when he was (laughs) – a young boy and still roughly the size of a small truck. Yeah. Um, rectangular. Rectangular, just beefy man. Um, so when your player selects Rogue, uh, this is immediately the couple of questions you should be asking them, the player. Um, are they self-taught? Um, you know, what? what's their... You how know, do they get trained? Because how, unlike most classes, and much like Fighter and... Well, much like Barbarian, I should say, which we're not covering today... You can, in fact, easily be a self-trained rogue. A pickpocket who's not working with an organization is self-trained, and he's certainly learned to do sneaky things and fight in unexpected ways. Yep. Their whole idea, I mean, it makes sense with the sneak attack notion and just growing up on the mean streets of wherever the hell your character is from. Um, So the first questions you start asking after the obvious, you know, how old are you, um, is I usually actually like to start with, like, what's the family backstory ground? Like, yeah, are they from a, you know, are they that kid from the poor side of the tracks? Or are you that noble kid who had too much time on his hands? You know, just started slumming it, just started slumming it, you know, to be cool, started smoking cigarettes with my friends down by the train tracks because you can't control me anymore, dad. <laughs> One thing I should say, we're going to be talking mostly about urban rogues. You can, in fact, play a small town rogue or a wilderness rogue but rogue much like ranger is sort of inherently linked to cities yeah you um, can do it it's not going to be nearly as common um so 
and th- this is just my experience, of course. Yeah. I'm sure everyone's seen only. I, no, I always just I always think of uh, small town rogues as being Dennis the Menace. <laughs> yeah, just or yeah, just stealing chickens and shit and just doing you know just mischief not cattle even, rustlers yeah not even not even necessarily taking stuff just mischief just being cow tippers yeah just <laughs> being bored in a small town um <laughs> so start off though with the easy and obvious questions um like we talked about earlier with the mercenary stuff if they want to be from a gang or even in charge of their own gang and they're level one or two or whatever Go ahead and let that happen, but, you know, obviously put restrictions on it. Like, if you're level one and you're in charge of a gang... It's probably going to be three teenagers and a middle-aged woman. Yeah, you know... With no training. Yeah, because that's, you know, that's the three teenagers' mom, and she makes cucumber sandwiches for everybody at the meeting. You know, you're the tunnel snakes. <laughs> tunnel snakes rule. Tunnel snakes rule, man. You're you're a tiny gang, you know, and so you can have that, and, you, you know, you can... There are two things I'm going to say here. Go ahead. Um, criminal syndicates are probably the... Uh, most common way to play uh, rogues, but we're probably going to talk later about getting out of the gang or staying in the gang, comparatively speaking, because if you're in a gang, you're probably not going to go adventuring. The other thing I want to say very briefly uh, is that you should, if you're interested in having gang creation rules, quote unquote, you should seriously consider looking at Blades in the Dark, which is a game about in a Victorian London style se- uh, setting, uh, being a gang member and running a gang. So, you know, might worth looking at. Kind of what we're doing. <laughs> so when it comes to talking to the Rogue about how all their stuff works, uh, let's just stick to the standard flavors of Rogue right now. And then we're going to – I got a couple of things to say based on the various subclasses. Uh, so this is, of course, me addressing Thief right now. This is addressing Swashbuckler, who I think is pretty standard. Assassin, who really doesn't live up to its moniker until about level 17. Which is a shame, really. Because, yeah, it's not to be harsh about it, but Assassin is just kind of the worst rogue. Uh, Again, another shame because rogue is a great class. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw Mastermind in with this because this is more just, you know. This is con- gang activity. Yeah, this is continuing up that criminal career ban- branch. But, um, you know, let your players come up with their ideas for a gang unless you want to put them as part of a certain gang you have created. And that might be important to the story. You know, that adds something to the story or at least, you know, give them some options, you know, let them know what kind of gangs are out there, how they're going to interact, how they operate, how they interact with the world and stuff. And so when they end up as part of the party, you know, how Shanghai or contrived as it might be, depending on their backstory, at least they got something to rely on. Now, another tip that I advise for a rogue, and this is something that's come up. um, I cannot remember the name of the cat whose homebrew it is, but... It has caught on with a lot of people. I even saw uh, Crawford and Merle's retweet it and share it out there. Um, and it's the knowing somebody. I know a guy. I know a guy. Homebrew rules, um, which if you can dig those up. Fado, if you could Google that and drop that in the comments, that would be fantastic. Uh, I know a guy. Fifth edition. Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the idea behind that is pretty straightforward. Uh Present this to your rogue too pretty early on in uh, you know making the character. Uh, obviously, someone cannot be a criminal, or you know as long as that's the route they're going for. Maybe they want to be you know I don't know a church guy who's really good at picking pockets. Weird stuff. I don't know. Swashbuckler. Yeah. Uh, but point is, man of action. If they're doing the standard "I'm a thief" kind of stuff, they 
there's a network of people that they're at least going to know. You got to know somebody's uh, couch you can crash and you got to know where you can sell your stolen goods. You got to know uh, where you can buy your illicit equipment. So, so you know, who's going to, you know, people who sell information. So giving people, you know, a list of two or three uh, people they might know in a town or at least organizations they might be able to ask is going to be ways to, A, again, make that player feel really part of the setting, but B, at the same time, um, also give them some potential role play consequences. Um, I've actually done something similar to that in the past uh, where I let a rogue, I told a rogue, okay, you know, three people, you have a great relationship with two of them and you have a bad relationship with one. Um, I want you to pick the, you know, the two who you have a great relationship with and then the other one I'm going to determine, like, you still have a relationship with that person, but let's just say business has gone south. It's like, uh, what's it, Lando and Han Solo. Yeah. Um, these can come up in very interesting ways in role play when suddenly, you know, it's like, well, I do know the guard captain. Oh, well, that's great. You can get us out of here. Yeah. Uh, he arrested me. Um, <laughs> Twice. He used to be my brother-in-law. Oh. Used to be is the important word here. Yeah. Oh. So sticking to those ideas of uh, – <laughs> hey, Earl. Uh, yeah, we should get that campaign going again. I agree. But sticking to the idea of rogues um, or just those base rogues, having people and players uh, you know, just centered around the idea that they know what's going on in their city. They know who they're working with. They know who they're working for. Um, and they know what their organization's kind of up to is going to tie them in more to the city. Now, let's look at the other breeds of rogue because they get a little weird. I'm going to save uh, Arcane Trickster for last because I think that one has the most unique potential. Uh, the first one I'm going to cover is the fighter in rogue's clothing, and that is Scout. Yeah. Well, Scout is the more military equivalent of a rogue. Yeah. Um, so everything we said about fighter – you can apply it to Scout. Apply it to Scout. It's just that Scout happens to be a fighter who is trained in being underhanded. Yep. And, you know. Special force. <laughs> doing – being a Scout. <laughs> uh, the other thing I was going to say is you could also have uh, Scouts as being members of pirate gangs or bandit gangs uh, rather than city-based. You could have them as uh, rural-based with those. Uh, that said, you'll probably be wanted for the law as a result of that. So be careful. But you'd not have as many people in the city, but you'd also be more uh, – not liked in the countryside, but you'd know where to go in the countryside. Right. Um, now, when it comes to uh, – who, who am I trying to think of here next? Ah, yes. E Inquisitor. Um, well, let's double check that one. It's in Xanathar's. Oh, man. Always, we should have come more prepared for this one, shouldn't now we? No, I just – I have nicknames for everything in my head. <laughs> so sometimes remembering the real thing, names of things is uh, – Inquisitive, which is inquisitive, a bit of a weird name. Yeah. But. Now, I always just uh, – in my head, they're always Sherlock Holmes because guess what? It's Sherlock Holmes, the subclass. Um, this one is very interesting if you have a player who plans on playing this because the obvious implication here is that this is either somebody who is, you know, somebody who has very Sherlock Holmes-esque abilities just in, you know, the overall read that's kind of how it is. They're basically a super detective there or they're a member of CSI. Um, so talking to a player and how they got to this point – about of are they going legit you know are they going legit or are they brought in by their criminal organization to try to ascertain what happened whenever something bad happens to their criminal organization um 
there's a couple of ways to get around those stories. It's up to you to talk to your players and kind of figure out where you want that narrative to go. Just again, make sure, uh, you know, repeat it for like the fourth time here that if you're starting at like level one, try to figure out where they plan to be by level three. So you can have it better written into their story. Yeah. This is another reason why most campaigns should start at level three. This is, I mean, this is why I prefer to start at level three, but if you want to start at level one, because there are still the, there are still fun bits about starting at level one. Um, there's still parts of starting a level one campaign that I enjoy. I just overall think that starting a level three is better, but having that conversation with your players to know where they plan on going. If you start at level one or level two is very important to make sure you can have everybody rationally end up at a point and not just be like, wow, Benjamin, you are a bloodthirsty cutthroat thief. And out of nowhere, you cleaned up overnight. Yeah. I dinged and decided to buy two nice suits, go get them pressed. And, uh, I'm a detective now, baby. So, you know, staying within logical, you know, keeping everything logical and keeping everything ready, steady, easy, breezy, beautiful cover girl. It is worth saying, of course, that that previous editions didn't allow you to level up instantly. They require a period of training. Yeah. But, you know, that is that is something worth addressing, too. It depends on how everybody else does it. Um, You know, for me in my games, ding, you're there. Um, But I also am pretty good about like including some downtime immediately after people leveled up. So it's just kind of assumed they've, you know, doing some training. Yeah. I, well, I do milestone leveling. I prefer milestone as to XP because, you know, sometimes <laughs> XP leveling just takes a little too damn long. Um, point being, you know, whatever leveling system you got based on, you know, it's, you can implicate it in however you want to. Yeah, of course. It's all about however you want to do stuff. Um, but I still find it very jarring when there's just a rapid change in character or there isn't obvious things leading into a how a character seemed to be going. Or yes, of course, naturally. You know, a plan of how a, a plan for how character growth would seem to be going. You know, just have those discussions with your players. Mm-hmm. Now, um, last one really to talk about with Rogue and then we'll, we'll get into our, our close up here. And that is Arcane Trickster. Um, again, one of these things is not like the others. Well, it's, I, I like to think of this one as sort of the, the ninja archetype. It's, um, it's a stealthy class focused mostly on, well, focused mostly on stealth and, uh, stealth combat, but there's also a decent amount of, uh, subtle magic in there that you can use to your advantage. Right. Um, that said for most, for not for most settings, but at least for some settings I know, uh, magic is far harder to come by than others. So, a random street punk learning magic might be a bit um, odd. Yeah. It can be a little jarring. Uh, so a couple of bits of advice for that one, if they plan on going that way and how, again, you do magic and how you address magic in your campaign setting. Uh, one of my favorite things is to, again, go back to my beloved trinkets table from uh, the player's handbook. And if you have a rogue who is particularly fond of picking pockets or things like that, have them wind up with a small trinket in their hand. And much like a warlock patron, uh, instead of striking a deal, just have it offer them some of these powers. It's sentient, obviously. But a sentient item. And uh, a good example of something like this from that a lot of people are familiar with would actually probably be, oh, there we go, Ryuk from Death Note. Hmm. 
is a solid example of something like this. Uh, not necessarily asking for anything out of giving the power. It's more like, eh, shits and Do gigs. what you want with it. Just let me watch. Yeah, I just want to watch. He likes to watch. Um, you know, but the idea of it would definitely fit into a, you know, since obviously the arcane trickster powers and abilities definitely fit into a trickster air quotation style of play. And uh, it could be easily, you know, surmised, you know, one plus two equals B equals uh trickster that some entity is, you know, willing to give a rogue some of these powers for the lulls. As long as they keep messing things up, that going legit isn't tolerated. Yeah, no, going legit is not tolerated. You got to keep, uh, got to keep stirring that shit until the day you die. <laughs> Sooner rather than later. Yep, live by the jackass, die by the jackass. Yep. Um, another way, of course, is the uh, stolen spellbook idea. But I still usually think that would end up with you being, you know, that would make more sense as a wizard, um, and. You know, like the sorcerer idea, it, a lot of it would just make more sense as a subclassed other class, you mean? Yeah, subclassed other class, multi-class kind of an option. Uh, I, Again, this is all personal opinion here. I just think that a arcane trickster usually should either like get an item or be a part of an order or have some little thing that makes them unique. Um like a religious observance or something like that. That being said, arcane trickster rogues plus trickster cleric is while by no means optimum, um, very fun. If you have a DM who's willing to go with it. Well, yeah, it makes sense. Again, this is mostly something that depends on how magic works in your setting. And we've already talked about that, of course, but it just worth, it's worth restating. All right. So that is all three of those covered. Uh, let's get some final notes in. Paul, you got any final thoughts, feelings on fighters, rangers, and rogues? And well, We didn't cover cr- criminal syndicates as much as I'd like, but that's something that probably deserves its own topic in world building another day. Uh, outside of that, I I again feel like ranger is a bit too straight, uh, straight-laced in what it can do. There's not much room for rangers to grow into what – like wider varieties of archetypes like there is with fighters and rogues. Right. Um, No, I agree. If there was something I would like to see added to Ranger, um, I definitely wish they would give them the – because, I mean, there's been a couple of like kind of official, semi-official and really well-liked gunslinger kind of classes – that have been made, either classes or archetypes. I would actually really like to see Fur Ranger just to get a full gunslinger archetype because they could definitely use the diversity. It might even help them with their current power level. But. What about Urban Rangers? Oh, yeah. We should talk about that. Shouldn't I we? was about right. to address Why Urban Rangers. Um, Why do Rangers hate cities so much? Where's our <laughs> Batman equivalent? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just I'm too busy laughing at just because yeah no that is exactly how it is like the Xanathars makes them sound like the damn Unabomber no matter what this is I'm actually pretty sure we could find that in the Unabomber's manifesto at least like one of those isms was there like I'm pretty sure like the city makes you weak was in uh, the Unabomber's manifesto but um yeah let's talk about urban rangers really quick because that's just something that uh needs to happen. At some point, I'm surprised it hasn't been made an archetype already. Uh, 
I own these streets. The So it's actually pretty easy to do, and it makes a lot of sense in homebrew. And uh, if you have a player who wants to play a ranger and you're going to be running a pretty city-based campaign, I'm looking at you, anybody who's about to run uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. Um, <laughs> yeah, when the animals are gang members. Uh, the idea would be here that, you know, since favor uh favored terrain the only really great thing that a ranger has going for it is gonna you know other than favorite enemy and a, like one or two other little things uh are gonna go out the window it's gonna be very uh you know your why- player's gonna wonder why they're playing a ranger if you can't use any of your abilities when your entire city is set in a campaign yeah that's what uh, i was trying to say uh before i started choking on my words so it's very easy to homebrew, just turn favored terrain into this city. Yeah, I mean, again, why is urban not a favored terrain? Um, I think it's pretty easy to add. Um, well, I think it would – the one problem with that would be then suddenly they just what? They know every city like the back of their hand? I mean – Well, you know every forest like the back of your hand? I know. It's – it's yeah, but it's a little easier to hand wave. You know, I know every forest because they all kind of do the same and whatever, whatever. Um, point is though, yeah, you can just, I think it's pretty easy to just add an urban for favorite terrain and then pretty quickly they're They either, yeah, they become pest control. Somebody has got to shoot them giant rats uh, before they get out of hand or urban bounty hunting makes a lot of sense for yep. ranger given their skill set and their abilities um you might have to explain away some of the magic i would again i would really love to see wizards make an official urban ranger archetype and with definitely some different spells too because i think you could um depending on how you wanted to do those spells a couple of different spell lists could really come into play and be a lot of fun like some trickster stuff even i know we just talked about them but like i could definitely see rangers making use of like illusions and things like that to try to catch criminals illusions and enchantments and divination yeah um you know things like that to help them in their bounty hunting um anything else you got on fighters or not really i'm afraid i think that's it all right um let's see i had one other thing i wanted to tackle other than that and it was had to do with fighters well left it right at the beginning of the episode um. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, when it comes to fighters, <laughs> I had skipped this when we were doing this before, but uh, when it comes to fighters and the making of, you know, how you're doing all your things, uh, does definitely designing some form of, like, how their growth and attachment is to certain weapons is a really big part of their story. Like, figure out how figuring out how attached a fighter is to a certain to their equipment style of weapon and their equipment is pretty uh can be very helpful as a dm like does your dude only like to use axes you know because as a player like as a dm it's not hard for you to turn that you know flame tongue into flame axe you know it's it's pretty simple if your player character is really determined to like axes. You know, if they really want to like axes or if they're a spear fighter. If they're, you know, if they're basing their fighter on some fantasy character, a good example for a spear fighter would be, uh, I know you're not a Game of Thrones guy, but Oberyn Martell, um, the Red Viper from Game of Thrones. Um, um, if, you know, but they want somebody who does, you know, all that fancy spear fighting and stuff, then, and they want to stick to spears, just 
ask them those questions like, hey, you know, like is what, your – What makes you so attached to Spears? You know, well, well – you know, that's probably too – are they attached – you know, ask them, are they attached to using a certain type of weaponry? Like did you pick halberds because you thought your dude's like the master of the halberd or is it just like it's what looked cool initially and you might change given what, you know, given what else you find? You know, are you the master of all weaponry where you're just like, sweet, now I got a sword. Sweet, now I got a mace. Sweet, now I got nunchucks. Sweet, now I'm hitting people with a lamppost. Or are you a, you know, jack of all trades, but you really, really, really like the spear? Ask them that question. Um, so we've got about 40 seconds left. Uh, hope everybody's had a great new year. Uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk about, I believe, we're going to do barbarians and druids. Yes. The natural world. Yep, the natural world next episode. Um, if you've enjoyed today's show, please head to Facebook.com slash 3DMs podcast uh, and give us – that's uh, 3DM spelled T-H-R-E-E. And I, I had an extra E there. Whoops. Two, uh, two E's, not three yeah, E's. Yeah, two E's. T-H-R-E-E-D-M-S podcast, uh, 3DMs podcast. Give us a like. Uh, tell your friends. Tell your grandma. Head to – Google, you can get us on uh, wherever you can get podcasts except for Spotify. So iTunes, SoundCloud are the big ones, obviously. iTunes, SoundCloud, a uh, couple other places I know that were available. The list just changed, so I'll actually get a proper one of that and let everybody know for next week what's going on. Um, <laughs> yes, Kent, fave terrain is rooftops. Uh, uh, let's see. Any other things we got before we go? No, I think we pretty much nailed it. That sounds good to me. Well, this has been 3DMs. I'm Jake. I'm Paul. And we will see you guys in two weeks. Uh, hope everybody has had a good time. And, oh, uh, don't forget to wish Paul a happy birthday in the comments. Thank you. Later.